creator God. The one whose words caused all of this to come into existence. The one whose hands molded man, formed woman. The one who sustains what he created, redeems what is broken. We have sung your praises. We have joined in the Lord's table. We have prayed together. And now we come to hear from you the ancient words that, words that echo throughout all of our human history, the oldest words. Lord, we ask that you would speak, that your spirit would work in us and among us. Renew us, challenge us, wake us up, help us to stand um, for the truth of the gospel when all others are bowing to the pressure of the group, of the mob. To lift up others and to strengthen them. That you might be glorified in our members, in our bodies, in our actions. Take these written words and reveal to us the living word who we follow. Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, yesterday, Tom and I, uh, we were in um, Broad, Broad Albin, New York, uh, which is up by Lake Sockendaga. It's a men's conference we've been to for several years. Um, and uh, it, was a unique, it was a unique experience to speak there um, because for the first time, they brought some of the guys from the city mission uh, to be there. And there were two particular guys, Tom and Devin. Um, and uh, Tom was an interesting guy. Um, we're not entirely sure... Uh, Tom's story. He told us that he had been a Muslim for 14 years and had come to Christ, but then he referred to himself as Deacon Tom at one point, and I'm not sure how that worked. Um, uh, but Thomas was there, um, grew up in Harlem in the 60s, and um, told us a story about how uh, he, they found him drunk in a gutter in South Carolina, and, and now he's homeless, and, um, and in this mission... And he, he asked me a question, he asked me a bunch of questions about Genesis, uh, and, and uh, just, just so hungry for the scriptures. And if you've ever had a conversation like this, uh, Thomas was telling me how excited he was to be clean and sober. And he was telling me, he's like, yeah, he says, I've been clean and sober. It was kind of difficult to understand him, and he was kind of all over the place. So I'm expecting clean and sober, I'm expecting like a long-term thing. Like I've been clean and sober for... He goes, I've been clean and sober for, for eight, almost nine days. And I, and I sat there, and I, I'm like, you know what? I was like, this guy, so you guys know I am not a hugger, right? Um, and and he, he and Devin, and Devin was, Devin was telling me how he was a millionaire and he lost it all. I mean, I, you really, those of you that work with homeless folks, you know sometimes their stories, they're, they're crazy. You know, you sit there and go, is this true, or is this, what's going on? Um, and anyway, they were there with their, the, the pastor of the mission, Sean, and uh, I just, I was getting ready, we were getting ready to get in the car, and I just, I got up and I walked over to the two of them, and I had had a conversation with them during the thing. I walked over to the two of them, I said, Thomas, I said, just do one thing for me, stay safe and stay clean. And he said, he, now, 62 years old, he goes, I'll do my best, sir, Jesus will do it. And he hugged me. 
and big, big, you know, big hug, all right? And I'm lost inside of, of this guy's hug. Well, that then gave Devin permission to hug me. So, so I'm trying desperately to side hug these people who are assaulting me now. Um, but then Devin comes up to me, and Devin had talked to me at the beginning of the thing. He had talked about how he had grown up in church, and he just lost everything in drug addiction. And I mean, you could just see the, the gang tattoos on his arms, and just, I mean, he had just been uh, all over the place. And, and Devin just said to me, um, and I, I preached the same message I preached last week about God. God creates order out of chaos, and God creates us for the place that we're in. And, and Devin just, he said to me, he said, I just needed to hear that. I just feel like God... As much as, as horrible as what the things were that I did, that God has brought me to this place to, to serve him. And, and, uh, and so Devin comes over and he hugs me. And Devin, Devin, didn't, Devin hugged me like I would hug somebody. So he felt like he had to hug somebody because Thomas had done it. He kind of hugged me like one of those open-armed hugs, like kind of like that, um, which was better for me. I was able to maintain social distance. Then Sean came over and hugged me. And I'm like, okay, I draw the line at pastors hugging me. All right, Sean came over. Then, then Greg Fletcher is one of the other speakers. He was like, oh, everybody's hugging Eric, and he came over and hugged me. So after the, after the trauma of all that, um, the reason I tell you this story is, that, is that, that Thomas and Devin, I both told them as they were leaving, I said, just do me a favor. I said, stay safe, stay clean, stay straight. And, and the reason that I said that is not, not because I think that you know my advice is going to be so valuable, but because... Um, if you know anything about alcoholism, you know anything about addiction, they, the struggle is so very real that they need to hear constantly an encouragement to stay safe, to stay on the plan, to stay in the program. Why, why is, what does that have to do with the passage of Scripture? Well, this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be talking about a big idea. And, and the big idea... Um, last week we talked about really order out of chaos and God is the creator and so God is sovereign. But now we want to talk about the topic of sin. And nobody likes it when you preach on sin. It is not high on anybody's list. Nobody sits there and goes, I can't wait to learn about sin. But the way that the, the authors of Genesis, the way the ancient Hebrews inspired of God told the story of how sin entered the world tells us an awful lot about let's not worry about you know the arguments of of did it happen how did it happen is the metaphor is it allegory did it is act, was there a historical atom there's all these theological debates let's not worry about that right now. now i have i happen to believe that adam was a historical person he historically fell he had a historical wife that he called mother of all i happen to believe that that's history and you can debate me about that if you want to, but I'm not going to make the point. I'm not making that point. Uh, that's not the point of the sermon. The point is not did it happen or not, whether it happened or not. The point of, that we want to get from this passage is that it happens. What we're reading in Genesis 3 happens in the human experience. Some people say, well, if it hadn't been Adam, we wouldn't have fallen. We would have lived in perfection. It didn't matter who we were. It didn't matter who was in that situation. That's why his name is Adam, which means man. That's all his name means. Just a guy. Every guy would fall in the same situation. Every human being 
would fall the way that Adam did. So when the ancients go to tell the story of how did sin enter the world and what is our experience with sin, this is the way they told it. Told it? Wow. All right. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this passage right here, again, the Hebrews setting themselves apart from the other people in the ancient world who believed that, and, and this story, you get jo- Jason and the Argonauts and Hercules and all those stories, the Epic of Gilgamesh in ancient Sumeria. There's stories like this in Egypt that somewhere in the world there is this special fruit and if you eat it, you will become immortal and, and you will be powerful and you'll be able to survive. And there's a character in the Epic of Gilgamesh called Utnapishtim who's like Noah but with a longer name. And, uh, and Utnapishtim, because he saved humanity, God allowed him to eat of the fruit of a lotus tree, and so he was granted immortality. And people have read that, and they've said, well, see, this is where the story of the Bible came from. They just kind of adapted and twisted it, because there's a snake in the story, and there's a fruit in the story, and there's a human being in the story, so that must be where Adam and Eve came from. And I sit there, and I'm like, really, that's how you're going to derive that? That's like saying, well, there's a G chord in this song, so clearly it came from the Beatles. Like, there, there's, there, there's no way of making that there's no way to show a correlation you can show an affinity but you can't show a relationship uh, that way but we have this moment here where and i'm going to keep going but we have this moment where we're introduced to the character of the serpent and and people make a big deal about this about the serpent you know and we know from the rest of scripture um, that this this is this is the devil all right this is satan uh tempting eve but but when this story doesn't say it was Satan. It just says it was the serpent, okay? So I'm going to stay just in Genesis 3. I'm not going to add too much out of there. You need to know that that's, that's what the rest of the Bible says. But right here, we just have a serpent. Why a serpent? Now, my mom would answer that question because serpents are evil. My mother hates snakes. She thinks they are the spawn of Satan, literally. And she uses this passage to justify her hatred of snakes. Now, the reason she hates snakes is actually my dad loves snakes. Um, my, my, my dad loves snakes. He used to have this neon green snake that he used. Its terrarium was our um, coffee table in our living room when I was a little kid. My mom let it out into the yard when people were mowing the church lawn and the snake got killed. Now, my mom hates snakes. Hates snakes, um, and so um, you know. But but she and why why a snake? Now some people, a lot of people, they look at snake snakes and they go, well, that's just unnatural. I mean, that's weird. It's scaly and flying poisonous and all those things. Um, but to, snakes are a reality and and they're part of creation. And people talk about snakes, whether they have legs or not. You know, I don't, I'm not going to get into that. But in in the ancient Hebrew word, the the Hebrew word for snake uh, is uh, is nahesh, nahesh. And Nehesh means twisty, turny. That's really what it means. Uh, uh, bronze, uh, making bronze, the process of smelting bronze, 
in Hebrew um, is called nehesh. It's the same verb. And if you know anything about smelting a metal, you know that bronze is not brass. All right, bronze is bronze is copper and tin and a little bit of arsenic. And you you smelt them together, it makes an alloy, and it's stronger than copper or brass. Um, it's actually in certain applications better than iron because it doesn't rust. Um, and there, there's, there's certain things to it. But when you smelt that metal, as you add in the tin, well, you know, that, melt, that metal, it, it does this bendy, melty thing, all right? Um, and so it's great because if you ever read, you read in, in the scriptures about the brass serpent that Moses raises up in the wilderness, it's called Nehush Nehush, the brass serpent, Nehush Nehush. Um, it's the same word. Um, and so uh, this, this idea of being twisty and turning, well, that's a snake. I mean, that's what snakes do. They are twisty and turning. When I was, when I was uh, we moved up to Massachusetts, my dad uh, took the church that he pastors now, and for some reason, the previous pastor's kids um, were very crafty and DIY, you know, do-it-yourself kind of kids, um, and Tom knew them better than I did, but, but there was just stuff all over the lawn. And one of the things that was all over the lawn was pieces of corrugated uh, steel. Um, they built camp, uh, cabin, uh, like play places out of it or something. I don't know what they were doing with it, but there was just corrugated steel all over the place. Well, you know what lives under nice, cool spaces during the summer. Um, snakes go there to, you know, kind of curl up and be snakes. Um, well, one day, my mom was gardening. She was planting some flowers. My mom loves flowers and plants and stuff until she sees a snake, and then she leaves it alone for the rest of her life. Um, but she was working in there and, there, and she goes, Ah, Kirk, a snake! She jumps eight feet backwards up onto the stairs. There's a little garter snake. All right, little garter snake. He's just doing, I mean, it wasn't even a dangerous snake. I mean, garter snakes, every once in a while, a garter snake will bite onto you, and you're just like, Oh, that's so cute! I mean, they, they're not poisonous. They eat bugs. They're fine. All right. A little garter snake. Well, my dad got so used to the idea of whenever my mother freaked out about something, they just go ahead and take a radical step to make her feel better. So he grabbed a shovel and he whacked the snake with it. My mother then switched gears and went, don't kill it. Don't kill it. You barbarian. All right, I'm not going to kill it. So my dad picks up this garter snake because he, he, I mean, my dad will pick up poisonous snakes. I mean, he doesn't do it anymore because his reflexes are gone. But it was not uncommon for my dad to just, like, oh, look, a copperhead. Snap! Like that. And just grab it by the neck and hold it. I mean, he was, he was a snake guy. He loves snakes. Um, so my, my daughter is like that. She loves a snake. In fact, this is a total side story. We were at a science museum one time, and somebody had a, a non-poisonous, like a milk snake, I think it was. One, what? Corn snake, corn snake. They kind of look like dangerous snakes, like coral snakes, right? And the guy was walking around with an aerial. She's like 10, 11, whatever, how old is she? She just walks over, the snake's crawling around her arm. And we had my mom with us, and she was looking away, and she turned around. I thought she was going to drop, and we were going to have to call an ambulance right there. Oh, she's touching the snake. Oh, she's touching the snake. Oh, you know, like, like, I'm like, you really think that they brought a poisonous snake into the Children's Science Museum and it's attacked your daughter? My mother does not like snakes. Anyway, back to the story when I was a kid. So my dad picks up the snake, a little garter snake, probably about two feet long. I mean, it wasn't that big. And um, he picks up this snake and he carries it over the edge of the lawn and he throws it over, throws it over a fence into the schoolyard. It's fine. It's gone. Well, that snake lived in our yard for years. And you would be going along doing stuff, and you would pick up a piece of the corrugated steel, because we were cleaning the thing, pick it up, and all the other snakes would scatter. Right? All up into the grass. You know how snakes do. 
And this one snake, he was not quite there. And he would look up at you and he would go. And he would, I mean, I'm talking like, I don't know if you can picture in your head a drunk snake, but this is... This snake, he would roll to side to side as he kind of slithered away. I, I wish there were cameras on your phones back. Well, you know, this was 1992. The cameras were cameras and phones were phones. And, um, and, uh, and you know, but it was just awesome to watch the snake slither away. One day, eventually, he didn't slither away fast enough. I accidentally ran over him with the lawnmower. Um, but um, it was sad. But, I mean, it happens. And... Um, wasn't even the worst thing I ever ran over with a lawnmower, but we, we, um, the the uh, so, but you know snakes they're 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 some people they're just terrified of them, right? They're scared of them. But in this in this world, the snakes, vipers and things they were dangerous, but snakes are just part of life. So why use a snake? Why why in this passage is a snake? Now we could say because it was a snake, and that would be a correct answer. Um, but but this idea of the twisty and the turny. The idea that a snake is something that it, it gets away. You ever tried to grab a snake? You know what they will do. They move around and they, they wrap around. And every snake becomes a constrictor the second that you grab it. It's trying to grab onto your arm, trying to, to deal, you know, trying to get away, trying to move. They're, they're difficult. They're tough. Um, uh, not, as, not as bendy and twisty and gross as lampreys. And that's a whole other story. I'll tell that one another day. Um, but uh, that's, a serpent is something that twists and turns. Well, is there any better creature for what he does to Eve? Look at the conversation that they have. The snake says to Eve, and she's not terribly surprised that this is happening, um, but did God actually say, didn't God say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now that's a direct contradiction of what God said. God actually says, I have given you every tree except. And so the snake goes, ah, uh, just, um, this snake has a weird accent. Just to be clear, Satan said, God said you shouldn't eat any, any trees, right? And Eve says, no, 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 that's not what he said, that's not what he said, that's not what he said. Let me, let me explain to you, let me, let me Eve explain to you how this works. Um, he said that we could eat all the trees, except for these two, we're not allowed to eat them and we're not allowed to touch them. Now, if you know Genesis 2, he never said you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. Um, so we don't know whether this was Adam trying to kind of safeguard wife or whatever was going on. Um, but uh, she says, no, he said, he said you couldn't do that. And, and then the serpent says, the serpent says, well, you know, and she says, we can't do it because if we do, we'll die. The serpent goes, I mean... Will you really die? I mean, come on. I mean, how, how bad could it possibly be? And, and the, he kind of pushes this. He says, well, you know what's going to happen when you eat it. Well, obviously she doesn't. Because God said don't eat it. Adam said don't eat it. End of conversations. Okay, we just don't eat it. He says, well, do you know what will happen if you do eat it? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen if I drink bleach, but I don't need to test it. And he says, he says, do you know what will happen? He says, you will know uh, the difference between right and wrong. You will know the difference between good and evil. That's what Satan, the serpent, thinks God's power is. That he knows the difference between good and evil. 
In other words, he plays on the woman's ego. He says, well, you know, think you would be a god. What's the difference between you and God? Well, it's the, he knows the difference between good and evil. Now, what he means is, and, and understand the interpretation of this, he can choose between good and evil. See, you've never been given any options, Eve. You've never been given the power of choice. God took care of everything for you. You've never, wouldn't it be nice to be able to determine your own destiny? Then you would be like God. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now I want you to just catch what that means. Those of you that have done wilderness survival, how do you know that a fruit or a food is good for you to eat, safe for you to eat? How do you know? You watch to see whether the animals eat it. And if an animal that is a mammal eats it, it's probably okay for you to eat. Not always, but generally. You know, and we're talking about fruit and stuff. I'm not talking like raccoons eating trash. Obviously, that doesn't count. Just don't do anything a raccoon does. Raccoons are the spawn of Satan. But anyway, um, my wife thinks they're cute, but I try not to hold it against her. Um, but anyway, the indication seems to be that then the serpent goes, see, I eat it. It doesn't do anything to me. So she saw that it was good. Eat. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Does anyone see a problem with that statement right there? This is Adam. He's got a Keanu Reeves face. Right? Eve is having a conversation with a serpent that is defying the things that the only other being that has ever talked to Adam told him. And she goes, oh, well, you know, I ate it, and it's fine. What do you think? Snake ate it? I ate it? You want to eat it? He says nothing. He says nothing. You say, well, maybe he said something and it wasn't included. Do you really think that detail would be skipped? He wanted to eat it. She eats it. Now, he used, I think he uses her as a taste tester, to be perfectly honest. He's like, she eats it. She doesn't die. He's like, okay, now I'll eat it. <laughs> she died. God will just make another one. I got other ribs. Um, <laughs> Adam's an issue, all right? Um, but, but Adam, so she, he's there, and the husband was with her, and he ate. The, the man ate and their eye, the eyes, both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. In other words, in, other words, in that moment that they eat, they realize that, they're, that what their, their natural state, their created state, suddenly it's shameful to them. Now, we, we, we talk about this being a physical nakedness, that they look at each other and they go, oh, now, how they didn't notice. 
I, but but they, they, for some reason, they, there was nothing about that that was wrong until they disobeyed God. And then as soon as they disobeyed God, they became, suddenly what was good became frightening and shameful. And they immediately rush off. Now think about this. Who are they hiding themselves from? From each other. They're ashamed of each other. In Genesis chapter 2, we find that, they, that man and woman, man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they will be one flesh. They, they're supposed to be in complete harmony. They're supposed to be in complete unity. And as soon as they disobey God, the harmony and unity that they were created, really being reflections of one being, it falls apart and suddenly they're ashamed. Let's keep reading. Then in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. I've mentioned this, what this means. Um, in, the, in the Middle East, as the sun begins to set, uh, the ground cools quickly, and it cools more quickly than the water, and as a result, there is almost always a wind as the sun is setting. As, as twilight is coming, there's almost always a wind, and it's a cooling wind. So all day long, you're working in the hot sun. I mean, and, and you know, this is, this is the Levant. It is, it's hot. Um, the, it doesn't rain a lot. In fact, we actually, I mean, you read chapter 2, you find out that it didn't rain at all. In the morning, the, the dew would just come up, and it would just water everything. So there's no rain. There's just the sun. They're working all day. You know, they're, now, they're not working, working. They're just walking, walking. But, um, but they're, they're tending the garden, and, and it's this joy and happiness. And as, at the, as the day would come to an end, as the sun would begin to set, as they would get ready for the nighttime, the, 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 literally what happened is they could hear the voice of God. He would come on the evening breeze and He would call to them. I, now, I, I can't prove this, but I, I think that He sang to them. I think that when God spoke, I think when God spoke to the prophets, He sang to them. That's why the prophecy is poetry. I think God sings. Um, it talks about in the book of Job, it talks about the, 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 uh, the, the stars singing when they were created. I think God's a singer. I think C.S. Lewis got that right um, in, in his creation story and uh, the last nephew, uh, the, the uh, magician's nephew, that God sings, all right? And that God doesn't just command and boom. It's not just, you know, the voice of some Hollywood actor. You know, God sings. And they hear the voice of God every night. We don't know how long they were in the, he- in, in, in the garden, but every time that God was coming, they'd hear the voice of God on the night breeze. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the, the wind, literally the rock, the, the breeze, the breath of God. And the man and his wife hid, herself, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of God, among the trees of the garden. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Uh, The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is like a classic kid gets caught doing something. Why are you concerned that you're in trouble? Because I disobeyed you. I should not have said that. Um, Who told you, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So man immediately shifts blame to the woman. 
the Lord of God, Lord God said to the woman, okay, so what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, I love this, that then the Lord God said to the serpent, the three of them are lined up like Larry, Moe, and Curly. God says, what did you do? Oh, the woman did it to me. Says to the woman, what did you do? It's his fault. They're now drunk. I don't know why, but that's what happened. All right, and the serpent, the serpent, the serpent doesn't say anything. I, I actually picture the serpent with that smug snake face going. And the Lord said, because you have done this, speaking of the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This is the ultimate humiliation before your sovereign, that you have to move on your belly. He says, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. And this is the big one, I will put enmity, I will put uh, the state of en- enemy between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah. To the woman, he said, I, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall make bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return now I'm going to stop right there but I want you to see what is happening the created order is being inverted it is broken by sin everything that should have been a joy in the cooling wind of the evening at the end of the day when God came walking and He passes His judgment, this is the reality of sin in our world. Our identity, our nakedness has become shame. The reality of who we are is twisted and broken by sin and we become ashamed of who we are because we know we are not, uh, that we have corrupted what God has given us. The trees in the garden, the the trees that God created for sustenance have become a shield and a protection from the presence of God. Where did they hide? They hid in the trees of the garden. They went to the place where God put them and they tried to hide from the one that put them there. What should have been their sustenance became their shield. What should have been what brought them into the presence of God, the place where they met God, became the thing that they tried to use as a barrier between them and God. God's presence, which every night before, however many nights it had been, when the day the sun started to set, Adam and Eve would put down whatever they were doing, whatever they were chatting about, whatever they were talking about, chatting with the cows about having four stomachs or whatever they were doing, and um, and two, four, two, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not a cow farmer anymore. Um, not that I ever was. And, uh, you know, it used to be that the cool of the evening, when the sun started to set, they would say, the sun's starting to set. The wind's going to start blowing. God's going to come. He's going to come talking to us. He's going to come walking with us. Isn't this great? Now, when the sun starts to set, they run for the trees because they have to hide themselves. What had been a joy becomes a fear. For the woman... God had commanded man and woman to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Obviously, that meant having kids. She wasn't birthing children in vitro. These were children that were, being, that were being going to be born from her body. This was going to be a joy. This was going to be a purpose. And now it would be painful. And every mother in the room can say, Thanks, Eve! Appreciate that. And for the man created for dominion over creation, to be the, the steward for the sovereign God... Now he would sweat in the fields to feed his family. He would die and return to the dust. He would go back to the ashes that were formed to make him. His start, heart would stop beating. And the second it stopped beating, it would start disintegrating back into the soil of the earth. What is sin? Go all the way back to the serpent. Sin is when something good that God has created is twisted to meet our desires rather than His will. And the truth is, it doesn't matter that it happened or didn't happen. The truth is, we can look at the human condition to set today and see the sin of Adam and Eve in all of us. God gives us something good and it's twisted. God gave human beings, moms and dads, you might want to cover your children, God, children's ears, God gave human beings the gift and the blessing of the marital sexual relationship. It is good. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. And we human beings have twisted it. The beauty of the human form twisted it. The beauty of the desire for his wife and his wife and a wife for her husband twisted it you say can you prove that just turn on a tv it doesn't matter what tv it doesn't matter what channel it doesn't matter where it is and you will see it twisted you say yeah it's really bad now i got news for you it's been bad since the beginning what we had has been twisted and broken. Our identity broken. God's provision for us broken. God, our, our attitude toward God's presence broken. Our, our fruitfulness, our ability to, to reproduce and fulfill our purpose in creation has been broken and twisted. And we continue to do it. Our dominion over, over creation has been broken and twisted. It's been twisted. It's been bent. It's been pushed to the end of tolerance. And we could spend forever going over examples of all of these but if you need to see him, just read chapter 4. Read chapter 5. Read chapter 6, 7, 8, 9. Human beings taking what God created and twisting it. Cain taking the opportunity to worship his God, turning it into jealousy and killing his brother Abel. Uh, uh, you can go through the genealogies in those chapters leading up to Noah. Men, men and women taking what God gave them and twisting it and breaking it. We can read all of human history and we constantly see this constant twisting and breaking. And we as sinful human beings are so twisted and bent and broken that when we see Jesus in true righteousness and the straightness and the reality of who He is, it takes us so long to be able to untwist our vision to be able to see Him. 
we devote our entire lives wading through the fogginess that has come from our twisting to see Him. You say, shouldn't following Jesus be easy? I mean, He just walks in a straight line. We should walk for Him. It'd be easy for us to walk in a straight line if we weren't so twisted. It's not easy for us. Being Christians isn't easy because we, sin has twisted creation. It has taken creation and bent it to the point of breaking. And when we sit there and go, why can't people just do good? Why can't people just do right? Why aren't people just loving their neighbor? Why aren't people just taking care of, of those that are in need? Why can't we do this? And, and you have a whole governmental and economic system who's trying, which is trying to force people to do that. You don't want to love your neighbor? We'll make you love your neighbor, man. Which is not going to work, by the way. You can't force people to love people. It's not how it works. When the answer really, the answer really is that God wants to bring us uh, through the twisting and straighten us out and make us a new creation. You say, I don't understand, I don't understand how so-and-so can be such and such. And and Jesus, you know, I mean, he makes the point about don't, you know, don't try to remove the splinter from your brother's eye until you remove the log from your own. You know, it's so easy for us to look out and be judgmental of the twisting of others, but we have to recognize that we're twisted too. And everybody reads this, they read the curses and they read the whole thing and Satan, we get lost in the details, but the big idea here is that sin is the twisting of anything good to serve our desires over God's will. Is your sin of desire, your sin of wanting to do your thing instead of God's thing, any better than Eve's sin of taking the fruit? And the answer is no. Now, Adam has the ultimate moment of irony here. Because in the next verse, he finally gives his wife a name. Up until this point, she's just been wife. Woman, Isha, just Ish is man, Isha is woman. Ish is husband, Isha is woman. That's how he's defined. Verse 20, verse 20 the man called his wife's name Cheva, Eve. Mother of all. Why? Because it's not important that it happened. We need to realize it happens. We don't get to stand in judgment of Adam and Eve. Because we do the same thing. We give in the fruit, we grab it. And it doesn't take, this is the thing, Satan doesn't have to twist it very hard for us to go ahead and twist it further. All he had to do was plant a seed for Eve and she was already primed to disobey. Why do you think he brings this up? It's because she's already eyeing that fruit. And he just gives her a little nudge out the door. Smug snakes. Always causing trouble. Let me just end with this. 
We'll pick up in verse 22 next week, but um, we'll touch on it briefly. But verse 21, the Lord God made Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. God's salvation meets us in our own twisted situation. God didn't say, well, you're naked, get used to it. He probably did say fig leaves not a good idea. He makes them garments of skins. That means that God had to kill the animals to clothe them in the skins. And that plants a big idea that as twisted and broken as we are, God is going to cover our sins. The, the, uh, the big theological word for that is propitiation. That God covers our twistedness and brokenness so that we can live in our broken world as His people and follow Him. Now there are consequences. Just read the rest of the chapters. God doesn't just untwist them. But God covers our sins. Forgives and renews despite our brokenness. So what is sin? Sin is twisting anything that is good to God, uh, into our own desires rather than God's will. But what is sin? It doesn't catch God by surprise and He is willing to forgive and cover us. Let's join in a word of prayer. Father, we are broken and we are sinful, but You are glorious, holy, and loving. May the glory and honor for all righteousness be given to you. May we accept the forgiveness that you have offered to us, the skins to cover our shame. Despite our brokenness, walk and follow you, knowing that you are waiting to aid us when we call upon you, knowing that you are there to cover us when we are shamed. 